1: Welcome to the Red Sox On Deck Prospect Podcast. This is episode 26, recording on September 9th. This is your host, Bob Osgood, and joining us, uh, no stranger to the Over the Monster Pods, we've got Keaton DeRocher today. Keaton, how you doing?
0: Good, man. I uh, have almost completed the cycle of OTM pods this week. Uh, The Over the Monster Pod was the only one that I wasn't on. and This is my fifth consecutive day of podcasting. (laughs) And who knew sitting in front of your computer talking for an hour could be so tiring?
1: Well, yeah, I was going to say,
0: what is your level of exhaustion at this point? Very. <laughs> Especially with the, the precap, because we got to wait until the game finishes. So that's like, right. We were recording pretty late last night. Yeah,
1: that's the that's the toughest one to fill in for, because I feel like every rain delay that there's been this year has been on like the final game of the series. and Yeah. Ends up ending at
0: 12 or 1 a.m. So, well, yeah, you're we get a trooper. To the eighth inning is tied 0 0. I'm like, oh God, yeah, please end this. <laughs> Thank well, God for Hunter Renfro.
1: I was gonna say a lot happened in the last two innings to give you some content, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That worked out well. What an unbelievable game that was on Wednesday night. Um, well, thank you for filling in. We'll try to keep it pretty painless here. Uh, starting off with some maintenance and reminders. If you enjoy what we do here, please leave us a five-star rating and review on whichever platform you use to listen to the Over the Monster podcast. Um, we've got the Over the Monster pod with Matt Collins and Brian Joyner, the Red Seat, which Keaton hosts with Jake Devereaux, and the Precap, which uh, Keaton is on with Shelley Verster who is normally the host here but is off this week so we appreciate you filling in. Uh, I'm going to go over a few minor league related transactions to start and then there's a lot of minor league related news and notable performances from the last week which is really what we're going to focus most on today. Some really exciting single game performances and week-long performances that uh, have happened kind of throughout the, the Red Sox minor league system over the last seven days. And um, <clears throat> Miners related transactions is what I tried to narrow it down to after I read 20 of these off last week during the COVID outbreak. Uh, Jaron Duran got COVID on the 3rd and went on the IL. Uh, Jeff Hartley was claimed off waivers by the Mets on September 4th. Cutter Crawford was called up on the 5th and sent down on the 6th. Franchi Cordero recalled on the 5th, sent down on the 7th. John Schreiber and Jack Lopez that we talked a little bit about last week were both sent down on the 6th. Michael Feliz reliever was called up on the 6th. Jose Iglesias was signed, old friend, on September the 6th and played in a couple of games this week. And uh, Taylor Motter was DFA'd on September 7th. Uh, Not the most ceremonious appearance on this team from Taylor Motter, although he did score the game-winning run pinch uh, running in one game, but made a couple of costly errors in another game. So Keaton, anything notable here or any uh, players that were called up or sent down that, um, you know, piqued your interest at all over the last week?
0: Just a general observation that I think it's fun when teams bring guys back like Travis Shaw and Jose Iglesias. Like even Houston brought back Marwin Gonzalez and he hit a home run for them the other night. So, I just always and, think that's kind of fun.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Shaw had a... Uh, those first few games had some really key hits between the grand slam and a couple of balls off the monster and another home run the day after the grand slam. And yeah, I think that gives you a little extra juice those first few games going back to an old team. I think that's a great point. Um, it was interesting to see cutter Crawford called up and got kind of an impromptu start on the fifth in the same way that Brad Peacock got an impromptu start the week before with some of the, the COVID moves. Um, Crawford looked okay, obviously the result, he had four or five earned runs over two innings, wasn't that great, but it seemed like in the first inning, the first couple of hits that he gave up really weren't hit that hard, and he was immediately, after he walked another guy in a bases loaded, nobody out situation, and pitched out of it, and didn't do that well in the second inning either, so hoping that Crawford gets another shot. I thought that his stuff looked decent. He was throwing pretty hard in the mid-90s throughout the couple innings that I saw. So it was good to just get um, a view of Crawford, albeit under the circumstances that I don't think they had really drawn up when they called him up a couple hours before the game. Uh, Some other minor league-related news. Portland, who we're going to talk about a couple of players from Portland up next, uh, actually has not played a game since Saturday. So when you hear uh, you know, the, the Tristan Cassius three games that we're going to talk about shortly over last weekend, you wonder how he's done since that. He hasn't played a game since then because they've had multiple rainouts and they've also had multiple COVID protocol postponements, postponements from their opponent, uh, Binghamton, this week. So they're hoping to get back out there on Friday. Um, Edward Bazzardo has been rehabbing in Worcester over the last two weeks and has given up a couple of runs um, in the four appearances but seems to be getting closer and closer uh, to helping this bullpen out that they desperately could use just one more arm even if it's for a couple of days and this off day that they have here on Thursday is welcomed for sure and then another uh interesting note michael gettys who was um an outfielder in the system actually has is transitioning to be a pitcher he's 25 years old and is down in the florida complex league and has thrown two shutout innings already down with the complex league after being a hitter for uh hitting 201 with five home runs in 46 games this year has an excellent arm so uh Looking forward to see some scouting reports on him to see whether um, that ends up working out for Gettys uh, or for the team or if he can potentially be a pitching prospect in the same way that he was originally hitting prospect. So kind of some quick news there, and we're going to get into some minor league performances from the last week. So Tristan Cash incredible weekend. Uh, you know, with three games like no one has had in the system the whole season probably. He had five home runs over about 24 hours, starting with a doubleheader on Friday where he had a two-run homer in the third inning and then a three-run homer in the fourth inning. That three-run homer was 472 feet. He also had a single in that game. And then in the second game of the doubleheader, and keep in mind, these are seven-inning games, he had a two-run homer in the fifth inning. Uh, If that wasn't enough, he followed that up on Saturday with two home runs. If you saw the clips going around Twitter, they were all tape measure shots where he was giving... David Ortiz-esque bat flips on a couple of them. Just no doubters. Um, Thoughts Keaton on Tristan Cassius kind of hitting a power streak after only having seven home runs prior to these five last weekend.
0: Yeah, that uh, the power drought post-Olympics was uh, a little interesting, but it's so incredibly hard not to watch him and see the production that the Red Sox have had at first base all year and just be over the moon about what's to come and want him to get to the major leagues as fast as possible. Yeah. And looking at his stat line, um, he has improved really just by leaps and bounds over what he did in 2019. Um, the walk rate is up. The average is up significantly. Strikeout rate is down about six percent, which is a really impressive thing to do. BABIP is about to about the same, so it's not suggestive of him being overly lucky in this run so far in Double A. He's holding his own and he's showed that he's progressed and he really is the the real deal talent that we've all hoped. And looking at his stat line in Double A right now, it looks very Anthony Rizzo in his prime. Uh, Rizzo, yeah. Rizzo had a few years there when the Cubs were. Going to the World Series where it's 30 homers, 10 to 15 steals, walking like 11, 13% of the time and hitting 280, 290, uh, which is right where he is right now. Um, and it's just, it's so easy to see that and just put really heavy expectations on a dude, kind of like I just did comparing him to prime Anthony Rizzo. But I feel pretty <laughs> darn confident in doing it because he's that good.
1: I know. I think that we talked about Jaron Duran so much because he was the next big thing that we've shelved some Cassius conversations this year, especially when he was away at the Olympics and he's only played in 60 or so games this year. But you're right. I mean, The the power was down in terms of the home run count, but the OBP is 387. And when you've got a walk rate and a K rate that are both in the teens, that's a really good place to be, especially the first year that you're playing at that level Um, at 21 years old in double A. I mean, that's young for that level. And you're right. I mean, I can't wait to see him go to triple A next year, and it'll be interesting to see whether they go with, you know, a, a... platoon type of thing with with Dahlbeck next year and if he is going to be the guy in 2023 two years from now uh obviously Dahlbeck's been a lot better over the last month six weeks and um you know is hitting both lefties and righties a little bit better over that time and you gotta hope that it carries over to next year but if it doesn't I think we're going to be in good hands and how quickly, you know, with, with 12 home runs now, his numbers just look so much better. And 387 OBP that you noted, 283 average, um, just so quickly in three games gets back to the level that we were expecting him to be at as the arguably the number one prospect
0: in the system. Yeah. And the Red Sox have never been shy about being really aggressive with their hitting prospects, not sure. only in um, how they've moved them along, but like really kind of giving them the, the tests like, um, thinking so, I actually I wrote a piece about this um, at the beginning of the year because of um, Jaron Duran, and it was specifically about Tristan Casas and what might a path to the majors this year look like, and yep. all the Red Sox top prospects prior: uh, Jan Mancada, Rafael Devers, uh, Andrew Benintendi. There's one more that I'm forgetting: Bogarts. Not Bogarts. Um, Mookie all had less than 60 games between AA and AAA before they were a major league regular. So the Red Sox reward success like this and they're really aggressive with their hitter hitting prospects and they're also incredibly good at developing them yeah. and trusting them uh, with these aggressive assignments. So it would not shock me. Uh, I mean, you're also right about Bogarts. He uh, it, it was 20 years old in the world series in 2013 too. Yeah. That was so a they're... fairly aggressive assignment. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's precedent for their top prospects and their, at their position player top prospects. And then you can even couple that with the need at first base, which was um, not the biggest need on the team, but certainly a void uh, both offensively and defensively at times during this year. So he fills a need. Uh, he's uber talented the red sox tend to be very aggressive with those types of guys and would not shock me if very early next year after maybe a month or so at triple a if he has a nice month wouldn't shock me if he's there
1: yeah it'll be interesting to see if they send him out to the arizona fall league to get some extra at bats as well um you know going into next year which they've done with some players in the past and I think that those rosters will be coming out in the next week or two so it'll be interesting to see I don't think we'll see him next year unless or excuse me this year unless there's some crazy emergency but um, might get some additional at-bats out there and I think that he should be ready sometime next year I certainly hope so after seeing some of those blasts this weekend Um, moving on to Jay Groom he we talked last week uh, Shelly and I about how he was promoted to Portland And his first start since then over the weekend in one of those Cassius games uh, through five innings, gave up two hits, did not walk a batter and struck out 10. Um, You know, we like I said, we talked about that promotion last week. It's good to see his continued success after um, a rough first month, month and a half of the season. His stats overall probably don't look that great. um, If you just look at his line to say, you know, what kind of a season did he have um, seeing a 5.29 ERA and a 3-8 and record in 18 games started wouldn't blow you away. Um, but, you know, if you narrow that down to the last two, three months, it looks a lot better. So any thoughts, Keaton, on Jake Groom and the season that he's had so far and now having a good start uh, after being promoted to Portland?
0: Yeah, the inconsistency is just frustrating. Like for This first start in AA is a fantastic start. Two hits, 10 strikeouts, no walks across five innings is very impressive. Yep, But his last two starts um, in Greenville were not all that great. Uh, six innings, eight hits, three runs, one walk, eight strikeouts. That's not a bad start. And the start before that, eight runs, seven earned in five, uh, three walks, only four strikeouts. And that's kind of just how his season has gone. It's been really bad. It's been okay. And then he's had absolutely stellar Starts the inconsistency is just really frustrating for a guy at this point in his development. Like, he's far enough removed from the injuries and still has the stuff that he has to be more consistent at this point. And that's just frustrating that he hasn't gotten there yet.
1: Yeah, you don't see promotions too often when a a pitcher has an ERA over five. Um, but I think that they want to see. Like you said, he's 23 years old. He's far enough removed from Tommy John. They want to see what he has and, and if these skills are going to translate the double a. Um, I, I know what you're saying. I, I think that he might be a power lefty relief arm down the line, potentially, if he continues to kind of go back and forth with some of these outings. Because watching the highlights the other night, the first time he's faced that level of talent and... He had all of his pitches going, and he had great command, but you're right. I mean, it's frustrating, the inconsistency. So I see the the point that you're coming from there. I, it'll be interesting they have to add him to the 40-man this offseason. Um, you know, you think they probably yeah. will, but you also don't know what other moves are going to be going alongside that and whether they, they they might choose not to do that.
0: Yeah, I don't know if they will, to be honest, because – they got a real 40-man crunch coming up. Right. And I think he has to start separating himself in order for that to be the case. And he hasn't done it so far. So uh he needs to build on this. It was his first start at AA. New Hampshire may not have had a ton of information on him. Um But that's going to be over now, his next start. <laughs> Whoever yeah. he plays is going to know his abilities um, after that start uh, and be able to get some information on him. So... He needs to build on it. I want to see how he does going forward. Um, And in order for him to get that 40-man protection, I think he's going to really need to stand out over this last couple weeks here.
1: Yeah, yep. I'm sure that he knows this is a huge month for him within the organization and hopefully can build on that start, like you said. Um, Moving along to Connor Seabold, two of his last three starts have just been phenomenal to the point that I ask why is he not up with the big league team um we discussed his start on august 21st where he had a no hitter going into the seventh he only gave up one hit and one walk and struck out nine um had a tougher outing the next time out gave up four runs and then this past one exact same thing six innings one hit no runs four k's he's actually in three of his last six starts only given up one hit Uh, all six innings or more so Keaton, what do you think? Are we going to see Connor Seabold soon? With with some of the names and people that, believe it or not, you know we've never heard of that have come up and played on this team over the last week, you'd think that we see Connor Seabold at some point. Um, do you think he might get a relief or a starting spot at some point in this month?
0: I think he's going to start on Saturday.
1: Okay. Is that a prediction or did I miss some news?
0: Uh, No, it has not been named. Well... So the reason why Cutter was called up for the last start was because Seibold had pitched the day before. Right um, now he's on enough rest where you can put him out there on Saturday. Cutter also optioned back down. So there's a, the the spot on the roster is open and the turn in the rotation is open as folks are still out. So it signs points to him being the guy.
1: Yeah, and I was thinking the same kind of thing. You know, they wouldn't have started him in that game over the weekend had they known that they were going to lose Pavetta, that the outbreak that they, I think, thought they'd contained at that point and then yeah. turned the other direction for another day or two. Siebel never would have pitched that game at AAA over the weekend. Um, so I agree with you. I think we'll see him hopefully, um, you know, one start. And then maybe move into the bullpen, depending on the arms that they're going to need. But I'm looking forward to seeing a Seabold start, as he's looked really good over the last six. And, um, you know, just that trade that was made last year uh, in the short season with Workman and Hembry and Seabold and Pavetta coming back. Uh, just looking forward to seeing whether we're going to get two arms out of that that will be majorly ready. Yeah. Moving along to Nick York. And we talk about him every week, and I'm trying to find a reason not to talk about him, and it just <laughs> it doesn't happen. He's since his promotion to Greenville in 13 games, has seven multi hit games so far after a promotion at 18, 19 years old. Um, he's hitting 385 with a 458 OBP, 635 slugging in those 13 games. He's got three home runs. Uh, Wednesday night, you know, he had an off night, he didn't have a multi hit game. And then had a game-winning Grand Slam in a 2-2 game in the eighth inning. Um, Just outdoes himself on a weekly basis after a month of concern to start the season. Um, Just complete night and day since that. Would have been your thoughts so far this year on on Nick York, Keaton?
0: Outstanding. Uh, We actually got a question about Nick York on the Dynasty's Child podcast uh somebody asked for a comp and i said dustin pedroia with more power so i'm curious what your thoughts on if that's too aggressive spot on or uh am i out of my mind no i don't
1: i I don't think that you're out of your mind i think that pedroia is such a difficult comp because i'm not sure that there's ever been a player like him (laughs) in the history of the league that had that work ethic so uh and did more with uh with less than, than he did. He was such a fascinating, unique player. So if he's got that work ethic, then it's absolutely reasonable. Um, and the power, like you just said, has been most, I didn't know that that was going to be there. You know, I knew that he was going to be a gap doubles hitter, but he has 13 home runs in 89 games at 19 years old when he probably still has some projection left. So, I mean, you're putting a little bit of pressure on him with the Pedroia, <laughs> but better comp. <laughs> but um no, I think it's I think it's possible and it's just such a such a great start at this age you don't see people at high A with this average, you know, unless they might be a, a Ken Griffey or a number 1 pick or something like that, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to keep that, file that away in the back of my head and pretty lofty
0: expectations.
1: (laughs) I don't think anything is going to jinx York this year. Maybe we'll see what happens next year. But Yeah. One note that I don't have a whole lot to add to, but I just thought was an interesting fact that I saw this week. Marcel Meyer has 10 errors in 18 games at the Complex League, and I feel like I need to, I don't know find a scout to talk to and get the story behind this, whether this is a fluke or if he... because the the book on Meyer was really good defense to go along with everything else, and good footwork, and natural shortstop, and no concern of moving off the position, and he's made 10 errors in 18 games at the Complex League, which I don't know, doesn't seem like it's, uh... It doesn't seem like that could be a complete fluke. It seems like most of those probably are, are a result of real errors that he made, so... <laughs> we'll have to see the story behind that but i thought it was an interesting tidbit to throw in this week
0: yeah it is weird because so when you pointed that out and we were kind of just chatting about it before we started talking i pulled up a couple grades and fangraphs has his fielding at a 50 uh mlb.com has his fielding and arm at a 60 um so i'm just as confused i don't really know what's going on maybe it's just him uh you know adjusting to the speed of professional training and I mean, it's not he's not hasn't faced isn't facing anything overwhelming at the complex league, but um you know, getting used to the rigors of pro ball. Maybe it's just that transition period. Something to to keep an eye on, but seems like a fluke.
1: Yeah, they didn't give him some aggressive assignment to Salem. He I mean, right. it'd be interesting to see whether there um ready to do that or not if his defense isn't quite there if he would start the year at the complex league um, you know if that's something that that could hold him back from an initial promotion at the beginning of next year so just trying to pull up the another couple rankings but you were quicker than I am so that's okay Shane Drohan and Jeremy Wu Yelland, who are two arms that we actually profiled last week. Shelly and I were talking about the 2020 draft class, and we were going over York and Blaze, who actually just went on the the IL, Blaze Jordan, um, in the past day. Shane Drohan and Wu Yelland were the two arms that went in the fourth and fifth round uh, of that draft. Drohan has been great twice since we profiled him last week. He's thrown 10 innings, given up one run with 14 strikeouts, seven hits, and two only two walks in those starts. And he had some walk issues early in the season that we talked about, but four of his last eight starts now, uh, including um, one the other day, have, he has not walked a batter, which is great progress from what he had done in the first half of the season. And then Jeremy Wu Yellen, part of that class, threw five innings and Struck out nine in his first start with Greenville the other day as a promotion. Uh, He was promoted to Greenville as part of a no-hitter that Greenville threw. Uh, Threw another game later in the week. Gave up uh, a run in three innings and had a few more strikeouts, but he did walk six. So, you know, Wu Yellen kind of more of a control-command concern. I've had some, and I know uh, we had Ian Kundal on who talked about the relief risk that was likely uh, or that he was seeing so far with Wu Yellen. But uh, have you been able to catch any Drohan or Wu Yellen so far this year? Have any thoughts on, on those pitchers?
0: I have not, but something that kind of stands out to me looking at this, um, I believe. I was trying to actually go back and see if I could pick this out, but I couldn't do it quick enough on the fly. Um Wu Yellen's ninety strikeouts and in seventy five innings is really impressive because I believe of the two, Drohan was actually um uh, more of like that power strikeout pitcher uh in college versus yep. Wu Yellen. Um and seeing Wu Yellen have more success there so far uh, in about the same amount of innings. Overdrawn, I think is really interesting. I think that kind of um, shows this was a great find by the Red Sox, and seeing his stuff, and seeing that he was coachable to you know start maximizing what you can get out of him, which is not typically what the Red Sox are known for with pitching prospects. Right. Um, So that is something that stands out to me, and something that I like, and something that I'll keep an eye on going forward. Excellent.
1: All right, I wanted to mention real quick that I, for the first time, went to a Worcester a Red Sox, a Woo Sox game this uh, earlier in the week on Tuesday night. And it's so interesting when you go to one game, the players that you kind of have an eye on and you say, all right, this player was the best guy on the field that game. I mean, he's a future major leaguer. And my biggest takeaway, if you just put me into that game and said, you know, there's no names on their jerseys who was the best player here it was chad de la guerra so that's who you would have predicted right keaton
0: if i 100 percent, yeah uh
1: de la guerra had four hits that were all like absolute rockets including a game tying home run that got up in the the wind to right field but went out by about 60 feet and just completely dominated the game and uh you know, I would have said that that's, the, that's their best major league prospect that is on that team, so <laughs> incredible Um what I saw there from a, at the time, under 200 hitter who had two home runs in the season going into that game, but I was able to see Jeter Downs. He had two hits that were both really laced in that game. He also had two steals, getting good jumps on a right-hander, and narrowly missed a third hit where his last time up late in the game, he... um ripped a, a near double down the left field line that was foul. And then the next pitch, he hit a ball that deep to left that was just foul of the pole by a couple of feet and then struck out, but made some really good contact. So I was encouraged because a lot of the scouting reports I've read and things I've heard of folks that have seen him up close have been, you know, swing and miss concerns and that he really wasn't close and that his weight was off balance. But I saw some great at-bats from down. So that's just one man in one game. Connor Wong behind the plate, I think he I really has some potential, which we already knew. I know he's not one of the highest ceiling prospects in the organization, but he had two hits, he made a great throw to second that I believe was dropped or was kicked out of the glove, something like that. Uh, but his, you know, pop time and throw to second looked great, like looked major league ready. And I know that they've been confident enough for him to catch Uvalde a couple times this year, so... I think that he definitely may not be a starter, but can definitely have a significant career uh, as a backup catcher in the major leagues, both, you know, definitely behind the plate and hopefully with his bat as well. Uh, Johan Miasis, I feel like we don't talk about his stats often enough, just how good of a season that he's had, albeit with missing numerous games for the um, Olympic qualifiers and then being out there for the Olympics. I, I've never seen anybody, or very few, that, that just have taken uh, such a massive hack at the ball like Miasis does. He has 18 home runs this year. His average is a little down at AAA. He's hitting .222 in 46 games there, but he's got 18 home runs um, in approximately 70 games and has 43 runs and 46 RBIs, and I really just enjoyed watching him as a hitter. I don't know how much upside he has. He might be more of an organizational guy, especially at the age of 26, but just great leaps that he's made uh, power-wise this year and has played up pretty well at triple a got to see darwins and hernandez throw a rehab inning he was throwing about 95 96 during that time looked good uh starting pitcher was daniel gossett who threw four and two-thirds innings walked five his command was very shaky really from the beginning from the first all the way to the fifth that he was missing spots and walking a lot of guys so i know that he has a good record this year might be have seven or eight wins, but there's some of my quick thoughts. I really enjoyed the stadium. If you ever get the the chance to head out to Worcester and catch a game, uh, for the listeners and you as well, Keaton, uh, you know, some good craft beer and pizza and Coney Island hot dog that had way too big of a line for me to get involved with and barbecue. And they really, it's a good experience. The, the seats are all, uh, Decent, and it's just a really good experience for a new field that looks like just a mini major league field in this era in 2021 and one of the nicer stadiums that I've been to, albeit in a minor league stadium. So, there you go. I think we're going to finish up this week with uh, some superlatives, Keaton. You know, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about some players that. You think, you know, your favorite breakout prospect, um, kind of starting with that and then talking about a couple other players, maybe a, a disappointment and under the radar prospect who you've got your eye on going forward. So let's start with your favorite breakout prospect of 2021. Who would that be?
0: Yeah, Brian Baio. um Nice. Looked nice in his debut in 2018, then really kind of struggled uh, in 2019, Solid reports out of the alternate site last year, and then has really just absolutely burst onto the stage here. Uh, 120 strikeouts, 85 innings, is really impressive. Uh, And he's doing it without walking, guys, keeping the walks per nine relatively low. That is really impressive. And the Red Sox now actually have some depth in the upper minors for starting pitching. It's not as urgent of a need. Uh, but the guys that they have have been performing really well and consistently, which is not something that this farm system has had, uh, at like any point since maybe like 2005 with like Buckholtz and Lester. <laughs> it's, right. It's been a long time since we've had guys like that coming up. Um, and now the Red Sox actually kind of have a handful of them. So it's kind of exciting to see, uh, what Bloom and Co have been able to do with the farm, and how they're developing guys, and now actually maybe not being a black hole for pitching prospects. So nice to see. Yeah,
1: yeah, and th- and that's even with you know Brian Mata and Thaddeus Ward and Noah Song still away, two with with injuries and one with a military commitment, and we were hoping to see Bizzardo this year and he's rehabbing, but that was kind of a lost year. So with a lot of pitchers that took a step back because of injury reasons, uh, it's good to see a few others step up and for it not to be black hole that you mentioned. So totally agree with that. Uh, Who's your biggest disappointment so far or someone that you think kind of has failed to meet your
0: expectations? Talked about him briefly already, but Jay Groom, I had high hopes for Mr. Groom that he would have a really good year. He'd start to take, steps forward he'd be much more consistent and we'd see him up in triple a at some point and that unfortunately is not the case you know just getting the promotion to double a he's shown flashes but just hasn't been consistent and because of the 40-man roster crunch this was really the year for him to make his mark in this system and show that uh you know he's worth keeping around for a while and so far i just don't think he's done it
1: yep Yep, and we did talk about that a little bit earlier. Um, and then, lastly, under the radar prospect, who you've got your eye on going forward, might not be you know in the top 20 in the organization, let's say. I'll yeah, Nico,
0: that. Nico Cavadas, who uh, MLB.com has his 27th drafted this year at a Notre Dame. Uh, College World Series was hitting just tape measure bombs, and so far has put up a pretty interesting line. Um, 13 strikeouts, 15 walks. He's hitting two fifty six but has a four forty eight OBP with a couple dingers and a um, handful of doubles as well. He could be something incredibly interesting. I think like his best-case scenario is Kyle Schwarber. Uh, maybe a more realistic comp would be Dan Vogelbach, which... Um, with a little bit better plate discipline, so I'm hoping that's what kind of pushes him more towards Schwarber. Um, He's a large man who has no range and can not play defense, so he is destined for designated hitter. But he could be a just stupid, fun, power bat DH that just cranks dingers, gets on base, uh, and just is like one of those... Brock Holt cult hero type guys with the Red Sox just for his goofy skill set. So he's someone that I'm I'm really hoping keeps this up and and makes it to the Red Sox and is a little more relevant than Dan Vogelbach, but kind of that skill set. And in the right situation, that can be really fun to follow. Vogelbach's had a decent
1: career. He continues to find a job every year. And there's going to be 15 more, hopefully, God willing, 15 more designated hitter spots. Uh, if they move that into the National League next year. So there's more jobs for the Nico Cavadas of the world. Yeah. Keaton, where can we find you? And how many things that you've done this week do you want to promote before we sign off?
0: All the podcasts. And hopefully if you're listening to this, you subscribe. Getting all of our podcasts every week. You can find me on Twitter at Spoken Keats. And sometimes I even write articles.
1: <laughs> awesome. You can find me at Osgood 15 on Twitter. Uh, Thanks again for filling in. I know this has been an exhausting uh, few days for you, so why don't you go open a beverage?
0: Oh, happily.
1: Okay, sounds good. We'll see you all next week. Thanks so much.